0: You're listening to
1: SBS on the Money with Ricardo Gonçalves. It's your daily ten-minute business and finance news wrap for this Tuesday, the twentieth of February, twenty twenty-four. On market day, we'll speak with Nathan Somerson-Darum from Deep Data Analytics for his take on the day on the markets. But first, to BHP, which posted a fall in half-year profit to around nine hundred and twenty-seven million US dollars, it follows billions of dollars in previously flagged write-downs and a review of its nickel operations in WA amid a slide in global prices for the commodity. For more, I spoke with its Chief Financial Officer, David Lamont. David, can we start with nickel? I know it's a small part of your global business, but it does employ around 3,000 people in WA. And given your recent write-down and the update, including a possible mothballing of the site, are those jobs safe? And what do you make of the government moves to support nickel operators? So,
0: Ricardo, thanks for for the question. Let me start by saying what's happened in the overall nickel market is very much a supply story. So what we've seen in the last 12 to to 6 months is rapid growth of Indonesian supply into the market. And that actually historically was more Class 2 nickel and that's moved into battery-grade, sort of Class 1 nickel. On the back of that, 50% of the industry today is actually losing cash. Uh, And that's what's prompted us to actually take the impairment um, that you referred to. What we have said we're going to do is urgently look at our overall business to determine the best way forward for that. Uh, In the half just gone, 173 million EBITDA was the loss that we made in our nickel business. So we need to be mindful of both the employees but also our shareholders in relation to our overall nickel operation. It is fundamentally different to some other nickel players in Western Australia, whereby we actually have downstream processing, which means we have a refinery and a smelter uh, over and above just a mine. And we need to actually make a view around care and maintenance and or continuing operation, mindful of what the government's also looking to do, but, but managing the things that we can control. And it is an a operation that we need to be mindful. If we did go into care and maintenance, how would we ultimately bring that back into production? And that's something that we're considering. As I said, uh, mindful that employees and the broader community want some certainty, and therefore we're approaching this with a great sense of urgency.
1: So what does this all say about the demand for greener commodities if buyers are going for what's known as dirtier products like nickel from Indonesia?
0: Well certainly what we're seeing at the moment in relation to electric vehicles is substantial growth but the end consumer and uh, the the auto manufacturers are not seeing a premium in relation to the green credentials that come with the sort of nickel operation we have and other nickel sulphide producers have across the globe. So the end consumer is not prepared to pay uh, for that at this stage. Now Again, that is something that we need to consider and over what period of time would potentially the carbon aspect and the carbon footprint that is coming out of Indonesia versus the likes of our own operation and whether there is indeed a green premium. But today, there is not one.
1: As you mentioned, decarbonisation is one of those mega trends BHP has identified. So is this still the case? And how is a business leverage to these types of trends and the other trends that are out there?
0: Yeah, so back to where you started nickel is certainly our smallest of the commodities that we were focused on so part of the electrification decarbonisation mega trend that we see across the globe was also playing in heavily to our copper um, operations as well so that mega trend we still exist Um, what we have said even on the nickel side of things is the demand story is the same it's the supply side that is uh, is the delta uh, from where we were previously but in relation to that megatrend, very positive on the copper side of things. Certainly what we do see is the supply dynamics there are very different to the nickel industry. And we're looking to see how we can grow our copper portfolio.
1: What about demand for your major commodity, and that's iron ore? How's that looking? And what about the demand coming in from China? I note that there was a key interest rate cut quite substantially in China today. Is sentiment shifting there?
0: Well, look, let me start by saying iron ore is the biggest part of our portfolio and what we will see is for the fifth year running that China output of steel will be over a billion tonnes. So strong underlying demand. What we have seen is a bit of a shift, though where it used to be 35% in the real estate segment. That's now come back more to 20 to, to 25%. But offsetting that has been growth in the industrial side of things, in the machinery side, uh, largely on the back of that decarb spend as well. So overall, still very strong um, demand for iron ore. That played out in the fact that you did see iron ore prices up 21% half on half.
1: So that business is still performing extremely well for us. Finally, what's your message to shareholders at the moment, especially those reliant on dividends and seeing that lower payout this half?
0: Yes, yeah, so certainly um, what I would just reference is that the uh, 72 cents per share US uh, will translate to about $1.10 for the Australian shareholders. The exact FX rate will get settled on the 11th of March and that payment will be made on the 28th of March. That is the fourth highest interim dividend that we've ever declared. So yes, it's a lower payout ratio than what was there previously, but we're balancing return to shareholders via dividend and also our capital expenditure for growth, which will add future value for shareholders. So we're very mindful of getting that balance right between our own growth opportunities that we see and rewarding
1: shareholders uh, through a dividend flow. That is BHP CFO David Lamont. Now to the banking industry where the ANZ Suncorp banking deal has been given the go-ahead by the Australian Competition Tribunal, which is the review body for the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, which the ACCC was against. Now the $5 billion acquisition will increase ANZ's home loan market share by a couple of percentage points, taking it from 4th to the third largest player in the industry. For more, I spoke with Nathan Zayer. He is a senior equities analyst at Morningstar. Nathan, first of all, why is this deal so important to
2: ANZ? Well, I wouldn't say it was super important, but you have to remember when they announced this deal, they were basically losing market share, so this was a way to buy back what they had lost in recent years. And at the same time, they have been spending up to improve their retail offering spending on their digital offerings, spending on their loan processing capacity. So if you're making all this investment, if you want to get a get a return on that you want to be doing more business over it not less. So I think this was a quick way to get some of that scale back in the business and they also pick up some customer deposits and SME lending where the bank has been underway. so it does make sense from from that point of view as well. Is this a good deal for shareholders? I think it's reasonable. Like I said, you know, it gives you a larger presence in, in all of your key markets. But the, the real opportunity is to further consolidate systems and processes and lower your cost base. And there's probably even some funding cost savings that can be had given ANZ has a better credit rating. The issue is, though, ANZ did pay a full price for, for Suncorp Bank, so 1.3 times that's more than what like the likes of bending on other bank trade on It's similar to what Westpac trades on, which in our view is a much stronger, more competitive advantage bank. So if you add in all the integration costs, commitments about not closing branches and keeping staff, you know, it really does take a lot for this deal to become value accretive and you have to wait quite a while before the cost out comes. So yeah, I think that's probably why you see the shares down a little bit, but, but overall we don't, we don't think it's a transformational or a, or a major acquisition, but, yeah, there, there are risks around it. You mentioned Bendigo and Adelaide
1: Bank just a few moments ago. They've been quite vocal in in their opposition to this deal, saying that it, it isn't good for customers, it isn't good for competition. What do you think? What's your take? What does it mean for competition and for customers in the general banking industry?
2: Yeah, we agree with the conclusion that it, it won't really alter the competitive landscape, really. Um, we don't think it opens a floodgate for further consolidation. Suncorp really wasn't unique or a disruptor in any way. There's an abundant competition from other retail banks, member-owned banks, foreign banks, non-bank lenders. So I don't think it really changes much from the customer's point of view. And should competitors then be trembling in their boots or here comes ANZ with you know, a little bit more market share? I don't think so either. You know, they remain much smaller than the likes of Commonwealth Bank and Westpac. And even if they can bring down costs, we don't think the strategy will be, you know, let's give them up by chasing market share with lower prices or being able to outspend our competitors. So I really think it's about you know ANZ just ensuring it is more competitive, you know, against against everyone in the space as well. And you know, competitors will be thinking, let's hope ANZ has some integration issues and, and we'll try to pick up some share back off them as well.
1: If that's the case, then what does it mean for the H4C, given that its initial decision has been overturned?
2: Yeah, I mean, they're always going to slide on the the consumer and you know, they f- figured it would be better if ANZ doesn't get a little bit bigger and someone else like Bendigo, like we mentioned, you know, was able to buy Suncorp. But at the end of the day to say ANZ having a few more percent you know, really changes how banks will compete with each other. I think that that was a bit of a stretch and that why is why it has been overturned.
1: That is Nathan Zaya there from Morningstar.
2: Now market day. On the
1: SBS On The Money Podcast. To the Australian share market now, which did four but only just the S&P ASX 200 off 0.1%, 7,659. For more, I spoke with Nathan Somersandaram from Deep Data Analytics. Nathan, what's driving the market today?
3: Yeah, there's a few things. Uh, Obviously, the reporting season has got a fair bit of uh, information out in a number of corporates and setting the tone for those sectors. You've got the RBA minutes, um, I, just, I wouldn't think that's too surprising, um, but we've also haven't had a lead from the US market, so we've got a bit of a breathing space, so uh, we had a bit of a negative lead out of Europe, so in that context, I think the market's just buying time till you get some lead from the US market.
1: You mentioned the RBA minutes, which were released today, it basically said that it uh, considered either keeping rates on hold, which is what it did, and it
3: considered a rate rise, does the market believe it? No, not really. <laughs> I don't think rate rises in the game. Um, I, don't th- I think everyone was a bit shocked about November. Uh, but I think that was needed for the market. The problem here is we're trying to curb uh, consumer spending. So it is a sentiment play. So I w- they need to talk tough. Unfortunately, the mar- market has heard RBA talk less tough for too long. So they kind of know that they're not going to hike. So the question now is about when do they cut, and everyone in, in the market is pushing that story as well. I think it's really hard for RBA to move ahead of the Fed because of the currency risk adding to inflation. So I think they will wait for the Fed to move, and the Fed rate cuts now are uh, the first rate cut is expected in June. Um, so that's being pushing back, and I suspect that'll keep getting pushed back further. So I think RBA will wait for the U.S. Fed before moving. In the short term, they have to keep talking tough despite the market not believing it.
1: Um, Profit reporting season, um, any out that you find interesting and any that actually reflect the way consumers are feeling?
3: Yeah, look, you can see some of the retail stocks. Uh, I mean, the good ones are doing really well, uh, but their forward-looking guidance has been relatively weak, Uh, but the weaker ones are getting hit hard. I mean, today we had Kathmandu, uh, which is a, a really good retailer, has really nice brands, but it's tough. Um, they've been struggling and the weather has not helped. So further downgrade. So when you're in a downgrade cycle, you come out and disappoint in this market. You get absolutely pummeled. And Kathmandu has not missed that part. They're getting hurt again.
1: Um, BHP is the big one today. What do you make of it, especially about things where they talk about China demand and, and the hot topic at the moment, which is nickel?
3: Yeah, Um, it it is amazing when when you're a big conglomerate, you can write down billions of dollars and nobody cares. Um, And BHP, look, they're they're very good at making long-term plays. Uh, They're looking at tier one assets. Um, Nickel has been a pain for a lot of miners around in Australia, all the big guys. Um, And so I don't think they're, you know, I guess immune to it like everyone else. They've, They've been hit by that. And then you've got the legal issues out of Brazil as well that's hit them um so there are a number of uh, plays there iron ore has been this area iron ore has held up better than most, uh despite uh weaker property outlook in china um i think china is holding up okay the numbers out of uh the holiday season the travel data has been very positive the consumer data has been very positive the housing data has been slightly weak and the iron ore prices came off on the back of that so all in all i think for bhp the china remains a pretty good story Theirs remain positive on China, and I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. But is that going to be the massive commodity bull that everyone was hoping for last year? I don't think so. I think China is changing. Uh, They will still need commodities, but there will be a different China to what they have been in the last decade. So I think BHP is going to always do well because of the tier one assets and their cost base. I don't think they're going to shoot the lights out, but My worry about BHP at the moment is expectations are pretty high. Uh,
1: The big non-profit report um, story today is the uh, Australian Competition Tribunal greenlighting ANZ's buy of Suncorp's banking arm. How significant is this for both the bank, shareholders and and the industry?
3: Well, if you're in ANZ, Suncorp, you've done well. Um, I'm not so sure about the banking, but it's interesting that you never get these kind of uh, approvals when the banks are doing really well. You get these things when times are a bit tough and the outlook is a bit tricky. Uh, We are in an environment where people are complaining about consolidation in sectors and at at these times we're allowing further consolidation. So there is a split view in the market. Uh, I think it is interesting that the regulators are allowing this to happen. I thought it might get blocked. Uh, The fact that it's going through tells me the financial sector is not as Um, I I guess doing as well as everyone thinks. I think there is going to be tougher times and the regulators see that these things will help them hold up better. So for me, the banking sector is quite well-priced. Again, we haven't seen the um, mortgage stress come through yet. We're starting to see job market weaken. We're starting to see retail sales weaken. So we might be at the early stage of that. And I think the regulators see that and allowing it to go through to build some. I suppose, stability in the system.
1: And finally, uh, where do you see the opportunities for investors at the moment?
3: I think you've got to look at sectors that nobody wants to talk about. Um, so you look at services sector, which, you know, mining services, professional services, um, everyone um, kind of threw away these sectors because they've got low margin and a weak cycle. They're turning around. So, uh, you know, uh, pardon the pun, but downer is one, has been one of the best performers in recent uh, month. And that's because they're turning around, winning better contracts, margins are improving. Similar to that, there's been things like CODAD, things like Service Stream. They've seen improvement in their contracts. So the services sector that's been ignored for a number of years
1: are coming back in fashion. That's uh, Nathan Somosandaram from Deep Data Analytics.
0: This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only